Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio in St. Louis is... Joe Manis. And our very special guest host today... Rachel Lippman. Thank you very much for joining us, as always. This is a special edition because we're going to be kind of taking a look at some of the big aldermanic contests that are going to be taking place on Tuesday. We're going to have a, a special interview with St. Louis Board of Aldermen President Lewis Reed, who I interviewed on Monday. But before we get to that, Joe, what is kind of at stake as far as how many seats are up for grabs on Tuesday? This is even unusual for a city election. Out of the 28 aldermanic seats, 17 will be on the ballot because there are some special elections and other things. So there's more than would normally be on a municipal election. Usually they would have half and half. Now, uh, one of the reasons is because, for example, in the 7th Ward, where um, longtime alderwoman Phyllis Young stepped down in December, she did so in part so that the special election could be held in March during the primary. And so there's a three-way contest for that ward. And overall, of the 17 uh, aldermen who are on the ballot, most of them, all except just a couple, have Democratic opposition. Yeah. So this really shows this is not in the old days where maybe it would be performa. Uh, the Democrats would be on the ballot. They wouldn't have any opponent. And then they wouldn't have any opponent in April from the Republicans. Now there's a number of slugfests going on. And that's what we're going to talk about. Now, to be fair, though, there are several alder women and alder men who are facing either nominal Republican challengers or no challengers at all. For example, uh, Donna Berenger of the 16th Ward. Um, the 14th Ward Alderman, uh, Carol Howard, doesn't have an opponent. Terry Kennedy doesn't have a Democratic opponent. And Joe Vollmer doesn't have an opponent either. Yeah, but that's on you. But, but that's the exception rather than the rule. Some of the races that I found particularly interesting are the 15th Ward race between Alderwoman Megan Green and Beth Brazenell, a realtor, as well as the 20th Ward race, which is a three-way race between Alderman Craig Schmid, uh, Kara Spencer, and David Gaither. Um, the reason those races are particularly interesting to me is those are situations where the incumbents have been outraised by a particular person. Megan Green, who was just elected four months ago and has to run due to kind of a weird snafu with the city charter, it has been substantially outraised by Beth Brazenell. But the interesting thing in that race is Beth Brazenell has been endorsed by the Police Officers Association and Megan Green has not, and she's kind of embraced the fact that she is a quote-unquote outside agitator, so to speak. Now, isn't Brace now also with the Realtors Association, which is a rather powerful uh, political she, influence? She is. She's actually the past, immediate past president of the Realtors Association. I'm wondering, just kind of given where that 15th ward is, it's sort of Tower Grove South, um, areas kind of South Grand, uh, I, I don't know how far east it goes, but if, if uh, the St. Louis Police Officers Association badge may backfire on Brazenell in, in some ways in terms of do we really want someone connected to the association? It hasn't gotten the, the, the best sort of reputation in, in the city for, for a bit following uh, Michael Brown's death. My understanding is in, in places like the 16th and 12th Ward, which have a lot of police officers and firemen that live there, that sort of endorsement would matter. Right. I think in the 15th Ward, we're going to have to see whether that endorsement is actually useful or could be harmful because 
I believe it was in the 8th Ward, but the 8th and the 15th are kind of next to each other, is where Sam Dotson was at that Ferguson Commission meeting where he was just got... That's um, over on the a, 8th. Um, not a good reception at all, and basically. It, but, but Mokabees, where that, that tear gassing took place, that's right now the, the subject of a, of a federal lawsuit against the police department, that, I believe, is, is in the 15th Ward. Yeah. The 20th Ward race is interesting because Craig Schmidt has been opposed seriously before, and the backstory there is he is a very active alderman when it comes to kind of stamping out things that he sees as nuisances or things that may be harmful to residences. But the problem with that is a lot of uh, business owners on Cherokee Street see him as very overbearing and restrictive. There, I've written about this before, and many others have as well. Um, and it's caused a situation where many of the business owners there are backing Spencer in a similar way to some of those business owners backing Galen Gandolfi in 2007, which was a very close race. So it'll be interesting to see the political power of the Cherokee Street business owners, whether it carries Spencer to that race, because I think uh, it's going to be a very close one. And there's other races as well, right. though. Now, I would argue that that potentially the marquee race on Tuesday's ballot is in the 7th Ward, which is to replace um, outgoing uh, Councilwoman uh, Young, as I mentioned earlier, because the 7th Ward takes in most of downtown. So you always have a lot of downtown interests that are taking sides on this. Uh, Young has endorsed Jack Kotar, who actually had been a prosecutor in Jennifer Joyce's office until recently when he stepped down in order to uh, run his campaign. Also running is Chelsea Murda, who also, like him, is a lawyer. She's involved in civil rights uh, law. And uh, Samuel Cummings III, which, who describes himself as a, a high-tech entrepreneur, he's, he's involved in various computer things. Now, this race has focused on several issues. I was at a forum that they had a few days ago at the League of Women Voters held. And for Kotar, the big issue is crime. Uh, downtown has had several high-profile crimes in the last few months, uh, some fatal, and he believes that especially along the Washington uh, Avenue slash Street Entertainment District that that's really had a chilling effect on the businesses down there, especially in the evening, and for some of the residents because uh, downtown and that part of downtown, they've been trying to uh, get more young people to live there in the condos and the high-rises to make it more of a happening place. And so Kotar, one of his big issues is pushing for more police, not just in numbers, but also on the streets. He wants to get them out of the cars. But is that race a proxy war between, like, Slay and maybe Tashara Jones? Because I know Tashara Jones has backed Murda as well as several other progressive-minded women political figures. Yes, there has been some talk that some uh, progressive Democrats really would like to see uh, Murda win because she's in, they see her as in the— um, Phyllis Young template, you know, being a woman, progressive woman. Uh, she, though, it's interesting in that while she does talk a bit about uh, public safety, her big focus is to try to make government more transparent, uh, trying to provide, she said she's going to be a trying to provide services for constituents. So she's taking more of a um, a different sort of approach than Kodar is taking. Yeah. So, and, so, and then Cummings, who is African American, is pointing out that he says that the focus needs to be on jobs, and he's contending that uh, that 
that there aren't a that the seventh ward often he said despite the minority population minorities aren't showing up and he believes that the seventh ward is is reflective of some of the racial tensions that have been going on citywide so there's three candidates who are actually taking three very different paths it's not like everyone's talking the same language what's struck me about the seventh is just kind of watching all of the different parties and proxies fight it out on twitter it's been a ridiculously nasty ongoing protracted twitter debate conversation argument whatever you you really want to call it and there are a lot of different voices weighing in on, on all different things, and it struck me as, yeah, it's it's election season it, it on makes Twitter. Me, it makes me jealous that the 16th Ward is uh, unopposed, but it, it probably is for the best. <laughs> now, now, Rachel, now when the Board of Aldermen comes back and maybe some new people join, what are going to be the big issues? Well, there are uh, is one day remaining in the current session, which will be the last day before the new board comes in in April. There are two big pieces of legislation that are, are kind of the signature pieces. One is an almost $200 million bond issue that would pay for things like new fire trucks, new ambulances, pay for some street repairs, just capital needs that the city's been neglecting. That has gotten tied up into a debate about what should be included in that, how much detail should be included in the legislation. There's um, also money in there for a controversial real-time intelligence center, although that would be voted on separately from the bond issue as a way to kind of keep people from having to choose between ambulances and, and monitoring, as they put it. The second issue that is still left clear in this session is the Civilian Oversight Board. Both of those measures can pass on that last day, that Monday before the new session starts, but it means no amendments, no changes, no nothing. They have to go out as they are written. Yeah, and I know for for example, the Civilian Review Board is definitely an issue in some of these races. And it's interesting, like, even the people that are, are endorsed, I think, by the Police Officers Association, like Brazenell, she told me she wants a Civilian Review Board, but she thinks the process is getting, quote-unquote, rushed. And my guess is that, you know, whatever the Police Officers Association wants with that board, they're probably going to support, whereas maybe someone like Megan Green is going to support something, at least philosophically, that is quote-unquote stronger or has teeth or I know the subpoena power issue is kind of complicated as my, well. My understanding right now is that the legislation that is sitting um, at the board is what the every side believes can pass. It came out of the public safety committee uh, with just one vote in opposition, and that was uh, Joe um, Joseph Ficaro, whose son is a homicide detective. Mm -hmm. He wasn't real clear as to why it is he supported it or did not support it. He was worried it would uh, end up in court. I think it's going to clear. I think people understand that it's the measure that they can get and that they'll have to figure out some way to strengthen it or change it a little bit later. But they, they've kind of backed both sides into a corner by saying, you have to vote for it without changes. Now, they can. The Board of Aldermen can call itself back into and resume session if, for whatever reason, they've got negotiations going on and they want to make changes to the bill. But as it looks right now, they would have to pass both the Civilian Oversight Board bill and the bond issue without making any changes. Yeah, Kotar was bringing up some of this. He tends to take the police stance as far as how the re review board should be uh, set up. And I thought that was rather interesting as well. At the same time, he's calling more for, for more police on the streets and fewer in the cars. He's also trying to uh, take their side as far as how the review board should be conducted. And he was also raising legal questions about uh, some of the proposed uh, subpoena powers and that sort yeah, of thing. There's definitely legal questions about that. But 
We'll have to leave it there. You can read more on the aldermanic races by going to stlpublicradio.org, and you can follow our coverage of the Board of Aldermen over the next few weeks and months. Now, right now, we're going to have my interview with Board of Aldermen President Lewis Reed. Unlike some of the other incumbents, he is facing opposition, but it is very nominal opposition. With all due respect to former alderman Jimmy Matthews, who I'm sure is a wonderful person, almost nobody expects Lewis Reed to lose re-election to his third term. And he had a lot of interesting things to say about why he isn't facing a lot of opposition and what the big priorities are for the next four years. Here it is. I'm going to play you a clip of the last time you were on the Politically Speaking podcast. I asked you at the end of the show if you thought you would have a contested race for re-election, and here's what you said. But I, I would think that, uh, you know, uh, with some of the things that are going on, I would think that Francis Lay would, would put somebody up. I would think that, you know, it, these things are like a boxing match. You're in the ring. You you swing. You expect to get hit back. And if you don't expect to get swung back at, you shouldn't like, well, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. So I would not, you know, it, I would not begrudge him for doing that. So flash forward, we're at 2015. And you're running against perennial candidate Jimmy Matthews in the Democratic primary and against a Republican and Green Party candidate. I would say no matter how many people you ask in St. Louis politics, you are heavily favored for reelection. What happened? Well, um, you know, uh, I, Jason, I don't I don't know what happened in terms of, uh, uh, you know, why a candidate wasn't wasn't put in the race. I know that there were two candidates that uh, put out some feelers that, uh, uh, you know, worked to raise money, worked to put coalitions together, and they weren't able to put the coalitions or the money together to uh, put together an effective campaign. So both of them uh, subsequently dropped out of the race. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that uh, that uh, has happened across the last couple of years, uh, including Ferguson, uh, you know, all the work we have to do now and putting together a Citizens Review Board bill, um, you, know, uh, you know, and then, you know, taking a look at now whether we do north-south distributor for Metrolink. There's just, a, you know, things have changed across the last couple of years, and um uh, you know, I think that we have a good team uh, at the Board of Aldermen. We have a nice coalition of aldermen that we're working with to try to get things done for the people of the city of St. Louis. Well, I actually asked the mayor himself why he didn't try to find a candidate to, to run against you, because you were alluding to two different people. One was Jennifer Florida, who I think had announced he, she was going to run against you. Uh-huh. She got appointed recorder of deeds. Yeah. Uh, she lost pretty decisively to Sharon Carpenter uh-huh. and decided not to file against you. The other one was that I heard of the most was Shane Cohn, an alderman from the 25th Ward, but yes. he didn't end up filing. So mm-hmm. I, I, I asked the mayor directly, you know, what what kind of happened here and why he didn't try to find a candidate to oppose you. He even said a couple of years ago that he expected you to back a candidate against him. Did that just not materialize this time? Or what, what kind of happened in that respect, in your view? Uh, there was no, I, I was not involved in, uh, you know, putting a candidate in against him. I mean, if somebody ran uh, for office uh, that I thought would be uh, an, a, 
a, you know, a good leader for the city of St. Louis, I certainly would have been, you know, at the table and, and working to try to help support uh, that person. That, that did not materialize, and that's up, that's up to somebody else to decide whether they want to run for president of the Board of Aldermen. It's a big job, and it's one that, uh, you know, didn't draw any other candidates. Your response to what the mayor had to say. I think that that's a, uh, a fair assessment. I think that's a fair assessment. And again, uh, like I said in the interview, what, a year or two ago, that um, he, the mayor had every right to back a candidate. And, and uh, you know, myself or anybody really shouldn't begrudge him for that. Uh, it's good that uh, now we can really focus on some of these major issues that we have ahead of us as a city. <laughs> you know, and I think it's important that we uh, all work together to address these issues because it's going to take everybody with their shoulder to the wheel to try to, to get these things done. Has there been kind of a detente between you and the mayor's administration? I know that he has a new chief of staff who's a, a different from Jeff Rainford. I noticed that I guess you both have, in some cases, endorsed the same candidates in some contested races. Has the relationship gotten a little bit better in the last few months? You know, um, it, it, with the with the new administration coming in with uh, Mary Ellen Ponder, Todd, and some of these other changes that they've made, I think there's an opportunity to have a you know uh, you know a, a you know a relationship where it's not just one side, it's not just you know our way or the highway. Because in government, it, it, you know, I think it's important to value opinions from all sides, no matter what. Otherwise, you end up in a situation like what you see in the House and the Senate, at, you know, on the federal, you know, on the federal side, where there's complete stagnation. Um, so, you know, it remains to be seen that the, the uh, changes just recently happened. So I'm hopeful that uh, that uh, with this new team that uh, they will see more value in the legislative branch. You know, in 2013, when we interviewed you, you were coming off kind of a rough year. Obviously, when you lose an election, it's never like a happy experience. But one of the underreported things in 2014 is you backed a lot of candidates and and opposed the transportation tax that ended up being successful. So, for example, you backed uh, Mavis Thompson, who ended up winning. You backed uh, Megan Green, who ended up winning. You backed Sharon Carpenter, who mm -hmm. ended up winning. So I guess that kind of shows that, you know, one year can be completely different politically from another year. Like, how did how could you explain the, the change in fortunes as far as that particular thing uh, from, from one year to the other? Well, one of the big things in the in the mayor's race is, you know, how how much we were outspent. We ended up raising around $750,000 for that race. The mayor raised $3.9 million, so we were outspent by $3.2 million in that race. And it made, it made, made a difference in a city like St. Louis. At the time uh, that we completed the race, I think the mayor's uh, total you know, uh, cost per vote was higher than any sitting mayor in the United States. So he had the resources he needed to uh, to win that race, and they ran a good. They, they, you can't put the. You have to give it to them. They ran a good campaign. I mean, a really good, solid campaign, uh, and they didn't miss any beat there. You know, on that campaign. After that race, uh, we got involved in a number of races, including uh, you know Mavis Thompson's for license collector. The majority of the members of the board of aldermen, overwhelmingly, except for you know myself and a couple others, uh, were with uh, Jeffrey Boyd. 
Um, but um, I took Mavis, worked hard for Mavis, is a great candidate. I thought that she'd make a great license collector, and we needed to keep her in, in that spot. And we prevailed in that race. Uh, the Sharon Carpenter race. Uh, it was a weird race, that was to, a, <laughs> to put it mildly. Yeah. But, but I have to say, when I saw that in the primary that she won every single award against two African-American candidates, yeah. that was not a good sign for Jennifer Florida that no. in the general election at all. So No. And, you know, um, uh, you know in, in that race, you look at it, Sharon, you know, aside from, you know, the you know, the mishap or whatever, not understanding, you know, the nepotism laws, essentially. Yeah. And she got caught in that snare. But, you know, prior to that, Sharon, you know, she's a she she modernized the office for its time. Right. She took it from typewriters to computers. She created the that uh, that state fund for uh for uh recorders and and she's she's done a lot of things of that nature so i think it was important to keep her in the spot and let her finish some of the things that she was working toward uh wrapping up in that position um and we prevailed in that race you know significantly uh especially given the how much we were outspent I think Jennifer Florida raised nearly a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, which is a lot for a recorder of deeds race. It's a lot. <laughs> I, I definitely got a mailer from uh, Jennifer Florida for sure. I don't think I got one from Sharon Carpenter, but it was an example of David being Goliath from a financial standpoint. Yeah. But I want to talk about um, before we kind of segue into issues. One of the things that I think is important for you, if you want to get specific aspects of of your agenda passed, is you have to have aldermen that are kind of either friendly to you or allied with you. We've talked about it before that sometimes yes. there, there's kind of cross-pollination when it comes to issues. Sometimes you agree with the mayor on things that he wants. Sometimes you don't. Um, who are you kind of stumping for, 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 for the board of aldermen this year? Because one of the benefits of not having like a tough campaign is you can campaign for other people. Like who are you yeah. going to be backing? Well, a couple of them. Number one, uh, you know, Alderman Sam Moore. I think that he is um, uh, he has been a great alderman. He's passionate about uh, you know his district and the city of St. Louis. He spent a lot of time working with the young kids and the boxing programs, and uh, he's he's uh, you know he he spends time going out being a motivational speaker to kids and and even going to help helping on the prison reentry program. But aside from that, uh, if you look at the fourth ward, he. Um, he has done a great job in turning around, turning the ward around, and beginning some development that had been long stagnated for years and years and years and years. So he's really important to get him back in there. Megan Green, Megan Green, I think you know is you know people. A lot of people use the word progressive and call themselves a progressive. Megan Green is truly a young progressive, right? She. She, she uh, stands by her convictions. Just in the short time she's been at the Board of Aldermen, I've been really impressed by the fact that she sticks with she sticks with her beliefs, and she she'll go to the floor and she will vote based on the things that she told the voters. 
uh, during her election she believed in. Mm -hmm. uh, so those two races are two of the big ones I'm looking at. So let's talk about issues. One of the things that's unresolved at this point is the Civilian Review Board for the Police Department. Mm -hmm. What's kind of your take on that issue, and what, what specifically do you want this board to have when it finally reaches the finish line, presumably after the elections? Well, <clears throat> Uh, uh, first off, the city of St. Louis is one of the uh, largest cities in America without a civilian review board, right? Uh, I think uh, that is needed. I think it's important that while we build a civilian review board, it has the appropriate checks and balances in it, right? So that at the end of the day, uh, it can be effective, but not so far overreaching that, that it hinders or prevents the police officers from being able, you know, law enforcement from being able to, you know, perform their 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 chartered duties, but also being a, given the citizens a voice so that uh, so that um, you know f for those issues or those officers or whatever that do fall out of line or that that uh, that aren't you know performing their, their duties as as we need them that that can be brought forward and some light can be shined on it and then, and we can get to the bottom of those issues. One of the things that I think has been a surprising source of contention for me, because structurally I kind of understand the situation, is the issue over subpoena power. The, the reason why I'm surprised about that is from talking with someone like John Chasnoff off the cuff, it seems like you would need either a change in the state law or a charter for that to go through. Um, is that your understanding too, or do you think that you can pass it something with subpoena power in the bill that's currently going through the Alderman Board well, of Aldermen right now? Well, we've gotten we've gotten two different opinions on both sides from from the state. The state came out and said, yes, you do you 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 do have the right to put subpoena power in the bill, and uh, and then the state came right back on the heels of that and said. Okay, uh, it's up to the city councilor's office to give you a you know a, a legal opinion on that. Um, you know, one of the things that we do we have at the board of aldermen through the public safety committee is subpoena power. So we have an opportunity to uh, to engage with with you know with the uh, civilian oversight board. Uh, if need be, if whatever records or whatever we cannot get to, we have we can partner with them through the board of aldermen to be able to address it. Do you, do you think that a, a civilian review board would be effective if it doesn't have subpoena power? Because I talked with somebody from Cincinnati, and they have a civilian review board with subpoena power, and what they told me when there was this debate over whether Ferguson should have a civilian review board with subpoena power is. Without the subpoena power, it just doesn't have the teeth that it needs to be completely effective. What's kind of your view on and, that? And, that, and that's true. That's true. Um, I can see where, you know, obviously uh, having subpoena power is an important thing. Um, you know, not that, uh, not that they have to use it every time, but just so that, you know, the receiving, you know, everybody on the other side understands that, yes, you know, you you know, we are a full-fledged board with the power to subpoena records and everything. So, um, so you know, cooperate with us. I think that that, that it helps. Certainly, would help in cooperation. But as far as practically from getting the bill passed, do you think if it had subpoena power, it may not have the votes to pass at this point? I think if you put subpoena power in the bill, it will not pass the board of aldermen. There's still a number of uh, of 
of aldermen that are that are uh, that that aren't comfortable with turning over peanut power to this to a board. Like so, this. so even though you're you're personally in favor of it, if if I look at the details of a bill that comes out after the elections are over chances are it may not have subpoena power just to get something on the table. Is that a fair, is that a fair guess? That's, yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the bill that will come out of the Board of Aldermen in all likelihood, um, and when I say all likelihood, all likelihood will not have subpoena power in it. Now, again, that being said, uh, there, you know, with the Public Safety Committee having the ability to uh, to uh, use subpoena power, right? I think that, you know, there needs to be a stronger partnership there, right? And and here's the other thing. Uh, some of the things that we're faced with in the city of St. Louis, we, we just got low control of our police department. Mm-hmm. Uh, right after we got low control of our police department, there were major morale issues all through the department because, you know, they didn't know what was going to come next, what what uh, what the future held for them? Um, the you know our officers in the city of St. Louis make less than uh, all you know officers across the metro area, and at a much higher risk. So uh, you know there are some things that we have to work on structurally within the department also as we as we implement all of these that was going to be my next question kind of moving off this uh, one issue of civilian review is just that what the police department has come in the last few months because it's been a major issue throughout the city i'll just start out ask you right now do you have confidence in the police chief to to turn the crime situation around Uh, here and Jason, if you remember, um, you know, in that mayor's mayoral race, one of the things I continually I continue to push, and I've been pushing since then also, is that we need to begin to look at our public safety issue in the city of St. Louis in a much broader form. Yes, I remember you telling me this. So yeah. continue. And so, because right now, and we continue to look at it as just an issue that the police department can fix or the police department has a handle on, and it, it is not that. It is not just hot spot policing or any of that stuff. Those things uh, may be small deterrents, but, you know, long-term, you know, uh, unilateral change in our our crime numbers are going to come from how we're investing our dollars that we get in the city. You know, are we putting them in places that are creating jobs and more opportunities? Are we... Uh, taking a look at some of the things that that are keeping people from being able to lift themselves out of situation that situations that they find them and their families in today, um, you know, to a better place. And if we're not doing those things, we're not going to see a major change. The reason I asked you specifically about Chief Dodson is one thing I will never forget either next year from either last year or this year is I went to the tree lighting ceremony in St. Louis Hills, and he mm-hmm. came out and got a rousing ovation. And mm-hmm. I said this to Alderwoman and Gracia, I love living in St. Louis Hills. It's a great neighborhood. Yeah. But the reality is it's a 99% white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You contrast that with his reception in, uh, I believe, the 8th Ward mm-hmm. when he was at the Ferguson Commission meeting, and a lot of people were upset at him. The div- and. and the, the area where he was at is far more diverse and split racially. 
I mean, it really crystallized the, the perceptions of police depending on where you go in the city. Some yeah. people will be very pro-police. Some people will be a lot more skeptical. Is that kind of been your impression as well? That is absolutely 100% my impression. Um, you know, and, and you know, and it, it it speaks to a much broader issue. You know, the 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 division that exists within St. Louis is something that we now have an opportunity to address. And we, you know, and I'm talking about the racial division in our city, um, because now we're having we we are forced in a position where we have to have those difficult discussions. And before, you know, those discussions just weren't happening. Where we were having these open, honest, and frank discussions about, okay, you know, yes, we are divide. We 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 have uh, a lot of racial division, to, you know, exist in our city, and a lot of it has to do with um, just, you know, number one, bringing people together, uh, creating lines of communications, uh, working to assure that there's equity and fairness in in the allocation of resources through our city. That we're working to create jobs and uh, and getting people ready for jobs and uh, you know if we're going to invest in mass transit, let's have a north-south line because a lot of the a lot of the problems that we can even if we help someone to get a job, right? The next problem that they're going to have is getting to a job, right? Uh, you know, um, or getting to their uh, their doctor and everything else. So, mass, so, so transportation plays a big role in in what we're seeing happen across our city. Now, um, moving into kind of more infrastructure related questions, there was kind of this struggle over a bonding proposal that mm-hmm. I guess never got off the ground since we're not voting on it in April. Yeah. But obviously, there's definitely some capital needs in the city, so I don't think the issue goes away, even if that didn't make it to the finish line. Can the Board of Aldermen pass something that the voters will, will, will get to vote on as far as bonding goes? Uh, the, the general obligation bond that you're referring to, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's a bond that we do every 10 to 15 years. The municipalities all across the country do these things to fund various capital needs. Uh, and the I think the thing that 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 uh, caused caused this one not to go through is some philosophical differences. Uh, when when I look at uh, whether what we're going to spend two hundred million dollars on, I think we need to do some position ourselves to better meet the future by you know investing in where areas and ways where we're going to create jobs and other you know additional opportunities for folks throughout our city um, and you know the f- whole focus of the the current bill was more on preventative maintenance stuff you know patching roofs and things of that nature things that we have to housekeeping things that we have to do correct but but if we begin to shift our spending so that we generate more revenue on the back end from additional taxes and things of that nature by addressing some of these things that keep people from moving to our city and making making it um, you know better for businesses and people to move downtown we will have additional revenue for some of these preventative maintenance things so you, so in making that transition you have to strike that balance and we weren't able to come up with a solid bill to strike that balance, and, and you know that's the way it is sometimes. 
But it's that important to get this thing right because, again, it's a, it was you know a, potentially a $200 million investment. Uh, we took it out to the residents of the city of St. Louis and asked them we, in four different meetings across the city, what would you like to see if you had an opportunity to help pro- figure out how we were going to spend $200 million of tax money, how would you like to see that move forward? And we ended up getting some great recommendations back from the people. So that might be an issue that pops up again after the election. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. So let's talk about something else that's kind of looming, um, and that's the Rams situation. Mm -hmm. I know that in the state and in St. Louis County, there's this mini debate going on of whether the voters are going to have to vote in order to extend bonds. Um, the governor is dealing with that situation. The county executive is dealing with that situation. What's kind of your take on whether either the board of aldermen will have to put something on the ballot for the voters to vote on in that respect or whether it could just be done without a vote of the people? I think, you know, and this is just, as you said, just kind of, you know, the crystal, you know, peering out the window or looking in the crystal ball. Um because, you know, a lot is still being tossed around about about that whole deal. But I would think that at the end of the day, there will have to be something that will go out to the voters to approve some additional bond initiative, uh, almost no matter what. But, um, but uh, you know, again, it's still fairly early yeah, on. Yeah, we, we, uh, this, this is an issue that changes almost on a minute-by-minute minute minute basis. basis yeah. We have the Ram, not the Rams, the Raiders and the Chargers having a super stadium proposal, which yeah. may make a may kind of box the Rams in here. So obviously a lot of things are in flux right now. But, I mean, the mayor has kind of been all in on the new stadium. He was with the governor last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that's a good investment for the North River Front? Like, what's your take on that just philosophically – in order to build it and spend money on it, you know, you know, to to build it and spend money on it, it cannot be just for the Rams. Let me just put that because the what the handful of games that they have here, although it helps to keep us on a national stage in terms of you know the the notoriety of the team and whether they're winning or not, and that St. Louis is a top tier team. It helps with. It helps with, uh, you know, uh, conventions and tourism and some of those things that we, people naturally would not attach to them. Now, that being said, the size of the investment would almost dictate that we would need to have a stadium that we could use for multiple things and keep it like active. Like soccer, you know, concerts, all those all sort kinds of things. Of things yeah. And in and, and, and a way where it would not take from some of the uh, some of the, the some of the stadiums and some of the venues that we currently have active in this, you know, in the city. So we would have to have a study and and see how all that would fare out. Now, you mentioned transportation a couple of times and your desire to build like a, a north south Metrolink. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people like that idea philosophically. The question becomes how to pay for it. Yes. How how do we how does how do we as a region get that done basically? Well, first thing I think you know uh, we have to do is all come together on the idea that that is an important issue, right? And and understand that you know how transformative that can be for us as a, as a not just a city, but as a region. And I think that it has uh, implications all across the state if we if indeed we are successful at getting it done. 
the just the amount of uh, of additional revenue that the city would see from uh, from the businesses and all the increased economic activity that would happen along that route, right? If indeed it was built out, would be significant. I think also the impact it would have on the lives of people, you know, uh, you know, through those corridors would be significant. And some of the things that I mentioned earlier was. Uh, when we look at when we got a health care disparity study done in the city of St. Louis a number of years ago, it was just shocking how, how you know, out of whack our numbers were when you go north of Del Mar. And some of the reasons those things are that way are people, you know, you know, a lot of times they don't even have transportation to get to the doctor if, if they had, uh, you know, if they had access to a, a doctor is getting there for, you know, the checkups and everything else. You know, uh, opening up job opportunities, we have to begin, we have to be able to connect people to those opportunities, uh, you know, along with some of the natural things that come with it, along with being sustainable and everything else. I think that that is a critical, critical need in the city. Final question. Obviously, you have to get through this campaign first, but is it too early to start talking about Reed 2017 for mayor? <laughs> you know, again, you know, I'm feeling you, you already said it. It's important for me to get through this campaign. Uh, there, we have a lot of work to do in this next next uh, couple years and in, in, uh, working with residents all across the city. And, you know, creating a government that's more open and accessible. Uh, I think that we will see a much higher voter turnout from our residents if they understand more about what we're doing downtown. And we, and, and the more we can open it up and provide them information, the better off we're going to be. It'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in 2017, whether the mayor decides to run for a fifth term. If not, um, you know, that'll probably mean 300 candidates will be running. If he yeah. does run again... You've, you've already signaled before you're interested in doing it again, so it may be a rematch. And just like as, as the first clip, it could be Reed Slay round two, perhaps. <laughs> Thank you. We'll have to see. Thank you very much for joining us to close us out. You can find all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can find me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can find Joe on Twitter at Jay Manny. So you can find President Reed on Twitter at? Prez Reed. Uh, it's very simple and very yeah. easy to find. <laughs> Thank you very much. We'll be back next week. Until then, so long.